The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom, so we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Prospect Podcast. Clay Link alongside lead prospect writer James Anderson. Shout out to New Day, N-E-U-D-A-E, for the song Comb Over. Glad to have an intro song finally lined up uh, for the 2016 season. James, going to be touching on your latest Farm Futures piece, 20 hitter predictions. Glad to see you did a predictions article in relation to prospects. You know, we, I've seen some of those on the site, uh, but I think, you know, these predictions regarding prospects are very interesting. But first, before we get into that, I just want to talk to you a little bit about our SKL2 
auction and draft the other night, Staff Keeper League 2. Were you surprised with how many... Because we talked a little bit about it before, and we knew some of the top prospects would be going in the auction, but were you surprised with the number of, of prospects that went in the auction? Yeah, kind of. I I think that it was it was right for the ones that went to to end up going and there were some guys that I nominated uh you know I, I think I nominated Andrew Benintendi and a couple other guys where I had you know I I would have liked to have locked them in at, at a dollar if mm-hmm. at all possible but then as soon as somebody went to I was kind of on to the next one just cuz I'm I am trying to win this year and yeah I'd love a, a $1 Benintendi for either just my own purposes or to trade but you know once it starts taking up more than the dollar and the roster spot it's just not worth it to me as a contender but yeah I mean I think there are a lot of teams that aren't really contending where you know if you can lock up you know Jacob Nottingham for for a couple bucks or you can lock up even you know Dansby Swanson went for like seven I think Mm -hmm. you know that that's that's a li- that's kind of aggressive, I think, but at the same time, if you're not competing this year, you'd much rather see if a Dansby Swanson at seven dollars turns into a great contract than just load up on you know veteran players that you can get for that same price, who you know probably aren't going to be keepers for you long term. Yeah, definitely, and yeah, no, we both talked and we both knew that there'd be quite a few, you know, at least a handful of of the top prospects that were available going in the auction. Uh, I didn't expect to dive any f- deeper down the list myself, but as I got into dollar days pretty early, then I ended up throwing out Nottingham, who went for two. Uh, and then I got like Ian Happ, Francis Martes, just because I- I'd rather take those guys for a buck than than some you know guy I could get easily in the reserve rounds, even a couple rounds deep in the reserves. Uh, and more so, you know, maybe I'll hold on to them, but more so looking at those guys as trade chips. Right, and I, you know, I think that that's kind of the way to go about it especially given the reserve draft players kind of available in like the fifth and sixth round and that reserve draft mm-hmm. are often sort of of the same caliber as as a guy that you might throw out there for a buck and get uh i didn't i didn't grab any prospects for a dollar but i did grab you know a guy like uh preston tucker in the reserve i got uh tyler skaggs for a buck i mean those are guys that aren't really prospects but guys that in theory could could become trade chips later in the season once they kind of establish themselves a little bit so yeah I mean I think that you and I are both sort of in the win now mode with also an eye for the future so Mm -hmm. uh, we've got a bit bit of flexibility there yeah I was was happy to get Jerickson Profar for a buck recommend if you try to if you have that second base open trying to sneak him in uh I had to give myself a Barry Horowitz pat on the back after that, but got bit up on some of my other guys that was thrown out there. Who did you get with your first reserve round pick? I forget. Uh, I took Alex Bregman. Nice. Uh, best prospect on the board, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I was picking, what, like fifth or sixth or something like that. So uh, Victor Robles and. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, who were the probably the top two prospects going into the reserve draft, were obviously gone by the time it got to me. Like I said, Dansby Swanson, you took, you know, Hap, uh, Ben Attendi all went in the auction. So uh, Bre- getting Bregman there at, at five was, was fine by me. 
Jose De Leon also went in the auction. I grabbed Cody Reed with my first reserve round pick, mainly because I had gone really cheap overall on my on my pitching staff, and I wanted a guy who I think could help me this year. Uh, and then Jomar Reyes, who we'll touch on here in a little bit, uh, was my second pick in the first round. But a player that we both knew was going to go for for probably ten plus dollars in the auction, who did indeed go, uh, it was actually for fourteen dollars. But Yoan Moncada. Your number one prediction here in your latest Farm Futures piece is that he's going to finish the season as a top prospect in the game with Byron Bucks and Corey Seager both both graduating, and you think he's going to hit 20-plus homers, 40-plus stolen bases between high A and double A. I mean, uh, he's somebody that I really wanted, especially because I think even at 10 to $12, he would have been a great trade chip. But a guy who's rebuilding, taking over a team this year went 14 I love that call because we're talking if he has a regular role, maybe maybe not to start next season, but early on, he could easily exceed that dollar price, dollar value next season. Yeah, it's tough to say how he'll crack that lineup even next year, mm-hmm. like where, where that'll be just given the, the players they currently have on the roster. But uh, this was probably one of the, the less bold predictions I made in this piece saying that he'll finish the year as the top prospect in the game because I do have him ranked number three right now and the two guys ahead of him are obviously going to use up their prospect eligibility in the first month of the season so uh, not a bold statement saying that he'll remain uh, where he is right now on the list but I I do think that power is going to kind of come on in a way that that people may not realize uh you know, everyone talks about the speed and the batting average last year, but I do think there's some legit pop in that bat. So it would be, you know, if you asked me to take Moncada or the field, I'd probably take the field for who's going to finish the year as the top prospect. But uh, he's he's kind of the front runner uh, by quite a bit there to to be the be that guy. Yeah, I was watching a spring game. It was a split squad game, but he was in the lineup for the Red Sox. Uh, against the Rays, and man, he just looks already like he belongs. You see him in the batter's box; he looks like a grown ass man. And in the field, he was making you know easy turns at at second base, uh, turning a double play. I know the team wants him to get really good at second base, and maybe like left field is ultimately his landing spot. But I, I thought he looked good at second, so uh, maybe he could get there. Maybe if there's a, a, like a long term injury to Pedroia late in the season, do you think, think there's an outside chance we could see him this year? Uh, yeah. I mean, it could. They he could be up. I I don't want to predict that though. I really think people need to pump the brakes if you think he's going to be up this year. It's obviously possible, but uh, they have other ways that they could go about filling that. I mean, they got guys like Brock Holt. Uh, Mookie Betts could obviously play second base in a pinch. So I I definitely wouldn't want to go on record of saying that he he'll be up this year. Number two prediction here: Nomar Mazzara will lead the Pacific Coast League. In batting average while hitting 10-plus homers in the first three months before he's inevitably called up to join the Rangers around the All-Star break. Somebody we both, you know, early in the draft season were taking, especially with Josh Hamilton ailing as a guy that we thought maybe even ahead of Joey Gallo get an opportunity. Uh, you know, path blocked now, but you do think it's inevitable that he, he works into a, a pretty prominent major league role this season. Yeah, I do. I just think that you you, you almost never see a player – uh, you know, he's got experience at AAA. He's big league ready, I think, uh, offensively and defensively. He doesn't have anywhere to play, but I just think it's really inconceivable that he spends the whole year in the minor leagues kind of 
just completely wasting his time. You know, I mean, it's it's not he's not going to be you're going to get to May and I don't even think he's going to be learning that much at AAA. So I, I think developmentally, even if even if there isn't anywhere for him to play every day, developmentally, you want him up at the big league level, even if he's only playing three or four days a week. And then at that point, all it takes is for him to just start hitting and he, he'll he be playing every day. So I, I, yeah. I do think he is like a super two consideration oh yeah because they want to i think they'll keep him down longer than his numbers and his fantasy owners would like but i just think you know at a certain point there's there's really no point in having him at triple a the big chill we got a big chill in our office but none can't hold a candle to the (laughs) big chill no more mazar tim anderson number three prediction tim anderson will be up to the majors in time to lead the team with 20 to 25 steals well, I may have more steals than walks. This combination of speed and high batting average will prompt the industry to rank him as a top 150 player heading into drafts in 2017. That's pretty bold, uh, especially because the team did name Jimmy Rollins the starter. I mean, that's not a, a big roadblock by any means, but uh, top 150 overall player is, is saying quite a bit, and I know we've talked about how high you are on Tim Anderson, uh, but you expect him to, to kind of reach uh, – maybe not his ceiling, but capture the attention of fantasy owners and really put himself on the map by the end of this season. Yeah, I mean, I think if you just kind of look at where, you know, even a guy like Kettle Marte, who came up at the end of last season, uh, I think Anderson's going to have more big league at-bats this year than Marte did last year, and I think that he's going to be more of a kind of explosive player and you know Marte, even at, like at this point in the draft season, I think you're lucky if you get Marte outside the top what, like two fifty, two twenty. And uh, well, we took him in Maine, probably yeah. around probably like in the late late two hundred, yeah, kind of yeah. right around two hundred probably. So, uh, and you factor in like Anderson's prospect pedigree versus Marte's uh, more power potential than Marte, very similar in terms of what I think their batting averages are going to look like. And I think Anderson's got even a bit more speed than Marte. So, uh, you know, I think if he gets up in time to play half a season, then I, I, I mean, him leading the White Sox in steals isn't really that bold of a prediction just because who on that team other than Adam Eaton can even steal 15 plus bases, you know, not really anyone. So, uh, that, that I think should be a cinch if he's up in July, but the, you know, as long as he kind of hits, then those steals will be there. You're going to start to look at him as, you know, maybe their leadoff guy. Maybe maybe he leads off and Eaton hits second, uh, something like that, heading into next year. And at that point, uh, I think people are going to be all over him. Yeah, I saw somebody talking about – or no, it was Jimmy Rollins talking about how he's just getting started. But come on, man, get out of here with that. I think, you know, he, Rollins has had a good spring – and he's uh, looks like he might be batting second for that team. Yeah, he is. Which is pretty. Insane. I mean, that, that's. I just it's it's whatever. Like, the, I think he's not I think gonna be able to hold down. An you're gonna get job. to May, and people are gonna be like, uh, "When's Tim Anderson coming up?" Because I we Cause saw what want, I mean, they want to compete, year. obviously. I mean, and it's not. They think they can. Like the people aren't even everyone. It's easy to point to what Rollins was unable to do in Los Angeles last year. Nobody's even talking about the change in leagues. I mean, there's always kind of a bit of – that's kind of why I don't have any Todd Frazier shares this year. I think that there is a bit of a learning curve when you switch from the NL to the AL. Uh, 
it, that's going to be an issue for him. I mean, I just, I really yeah. don't see, I mean, I think part of the reason they're hitting him second is to try to get him off to a good start, get him some pitches to see mm-hmm. and try to, you know, get him going in the right direction. But even that, I just don't, I mean. Yeah. I mean, the change in home parks is favorable, but yeah, the sw- yeah. switching leagues, I, I don't know. I think plus, yeah, maybe he'll, he'll have some pitches to hit early, but also a lot of pressure when you're batting second to on a game by game basis, not only to hit but to get on base somewhat. And just hasn't been the case. Look, there's a lot of pressure in that front office. Yep. There's a lot of pressure on in that field staff to produce wins this year, to compete in that division. So I know they're they're probably all about what Rollins is bringing in the clubhouse, leadership, and all that stuff. If he's just not getting it done, and Anderson is hitting like 290 in AAA then it's you know everyone's going to need to make that move for their own sakes to try to keep their own job so mm-hmm. uh yeah I, I think that it's it'd be a nice story if if Rollins were kind of able to reestablish himself as a dude for for the White Sox I just don't really see it happening quickly do you need a website why not do it yourself with wix.com wix.com no matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 77 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website. Uh, in the article, Joey Gallo will be the talk of the minor leagues in the first half of the season, leading uh, major league and minor league hitters in home runs prior to a call-up in June or July. This is a situation where, you know, I've been drooling over the spring homers and it's easy to do that, but is he going to be able to make those adjustments and is an opportunity going to open up for him? A lot of uncertainty for 2016, mm-hmm. but, but you still think he's I, uh, so, a guy to own, not only it's, well, uh, in Dynasty for sure. Dynasty, yeah, but I just think you got to be careful. Like the... <sighs> I don't know. It's so it's so hard to kind of get people to temper expectations on a guy like this, especially given what I think he'll do in April and May. But there's nowhere there's still nowhere for him to play. Mm-hmm. And he's not he's not gonna be a better option than Mazzara in the outfield. And Beltre is gonna need to get hurt for Gallo to see regular time at third base. Uh if Prince Fielder got hurt or maybe Mitch Moreland got hurt and they moved Prince to first, then there's there's another avenue. But he's really going to need one of those three guys, I think, to get hurt in order to start seeing more than two or three starts a week. I think he'll be up just because, you know, he's already on the 40-man. If he's abusing AAA hit, hitting, or pitching, then you might as well bring him up. But I, I kind of see him sort of being kind of what Javier Baez was for the Cubs last year where he's up – but, you know, there's only going to be, you know, we, a week stretch here and there where you can actually start him because you're not sure if he's even going to get more than one or two starts each week. Yeah, and then it's it's risky, too, because if he gets a couple starts and he goes 0 for 8, and then you're like, ah, he's, he's a little cold right now, i got to take him out. Then he gets a couple starts, it's a couple homers. Mm-hmm. Just playing that game. He's going to be a nice – he's going to be a nice cheap DFS play, I think. Mm, yeah, that's probably what I'm going to be looking at him – uh, more so as this season. Number five, Franklin Barreto will be up for the A's in August, but not before hitting 20-plus homers with a dozen or so steals and an average north of 300. This will force Marcus Semien 
to a utility infielder role in Barreto, making for a nice late-season ad in standard leagues. Definitely be sure to check out this whole article for yourself, by the way. Rotowire.com slash pod for a free 10-day trial. No credit card required. No strings attached. This is uh, good news for me as a Barreto owner. And, and we've talked about how, you know, the A's, you know, so far the returns on that Josh Donaldson deal have been poor, to say to put it nicely. But Barreto, it could be the big X factor here. And while maybe a lot of people think he should be left down for the season, I agree with you that it's probably time to start trying to recoup some value and see what Barreto is made of, especially because there is a hole there. Uh, not only um, – I mean, I think Semien would be a fine shortstop, but I think maybe he could shift to second base and maybe he would be better in the utility role. But w- the average north of 300 is what I think is really interesting. What do you think – uh, what leads you to believe that Bredo can hit over 300 this season? Uh, just kind of what he's done <laughs> in previous stops in the minor leagues. I think he's really good at making contact and making hard contact, really impacting the baseball. Uh, this actually was a – this. I tip my cap to you on this. I think you were the first one that kind of floated the oh, idea thanks. of Bredo being sort of a, a sneaky guy that could come up this year and – uh, yeah, I just I think that they're the A's are gonna be kind of just bored, sort of in mm-hmm. July and August, and I think that they might as well. I mean, if Barreto is has as good of a minor league season as I think he will, then I think that he'll he'll have done enough to sort of force the issue. I know he impressed the you know Bob Melvin in in camp before getting uh, sent to minor league camp. So uh, yeah, I I just think this is kind of a bit outside the box it definitely could look silly come july but you know one of these guys that we don't even consider as an option to come up this year will i mean this time last year if you had told someone that carlos correa was going to win the rookie of the year they would have said you're talking about 2017 right like it's it's really hard to predict this stuff so uh, I think Barreto's as good a bet as any to to really surprise some people and, and make a make an impact late in the season. Plus, they got Jed Lowry at second, Danny Valencia at third. Those guys have had injury issues. You never know. I, I agree with you that yeah, uh, Barreto lost some development time last year due to wrist injury, but he's that good that I really do think that he could force the issue. And I think the the A's would be wise to you know let see what the kid can do. I, I mean. Yeah, you want to delay, you know, getting an extra year of control maybe next year. Uh, that'd be maybe one reason to keep him down. But I think, you know, see what he has and, and don't look six, six, seven years down the road. With, I mean, he could be the type of, the type of prospect you want to delay the clock on, but uh, I think it'd be wise for them to get a, and get a sense of what he's actually going to do against Major League Pitching. And you don't – and the A's aren't the type of – organization that's by the book in terms of manipulating those things either so i i think uh they're they're just not by the book really on anything i mean what what other team would have traded addison russell uh for the package they got i mean they're they're just they kind of do things they march the beat of their own drum so i I don't think they'll be scared off by the the service time issue with with barato number six andrew benintendi will be the first position player from the 2015 draft to reach the major leagues Taking over in left field in early August as the Red Sox make a push to win the AL East. Now, this is one that you've kind of said on the podcast before in the past, uh, but what kind of 
kind of tools are we looking at with Benintendi carrying tools, not only through the minor leagues, but once you reach the majors, maybe fantasy carrying tools? Uh, you know, one of the commenters, I don't know if it was on Twitter in the comment section of the article, but they were like, yeah, this kind of sounds like uh, Dustin Pedroia 2.0. And I think that's that might be fair from a from an offensive standpoint. I think that the... You know, he, he could win a batting title, uh, but the, the power and the speed, we really don't know. I mean, he he obviously did a lot of both in his first taste of pro ball last year, but that was in the lower levels. I mean, we should have a really good idea of what he's capable of once we get into the summer months this year and, and just kind of see what he's doing against better minor league pitching. Uh, you know, I, I'd hesitate to say that he's going to hit 25 or 30 home runs, but, you know, we've also talked about how when you're that good a hitter, sometimes the power just comes, you know. I mean, like Andrew McCutcheon, I don't think many people were throwing, you know, 25, 30 homer seasons on, on his back coming up. But he's just such a good hitter. He's got the quick wrists that he's able to take more out than you than you might think just given a look at his frame. Benintendi kind of has a similar uh, smaller frame that, that's not going to scream big power, but... He's such a good hitter that it wouldn't surprise me if he was regularly hitting in the 20s for homers and then a good enough athlete where, you know, 12 to 15, 18 steals might also be possible. Yeah, when we were drafting on Monday for that SKL2 draft, one of the guys who was thinking about his first-round reserve pick was talking about uh, maybe Andrew Bernintendi. <laughs> we both kind of laughed, not only because of the mispronunciation, we both knew He'd be going in the auction. I, I nominated him. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I knew that I was going to nominate him, so that's oh, why nice. I kind of laughed. Like I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. probably not. <laughs> that was where I was drawing the line. A lot more prospects uh, went than I was expecting, but I did expect Benintendi to go. Number seven, Jorge Mateo will finish the season as a top three prospect in Dynasty Leagues. You talked to a scout recently. Uh, you're putting an 80 grade on his on his speed, but what else did you get maybe from that Yankees scout? Uh, that really kind of opened your eyes maybe to, to what Mateo is going to bring? Well, he's just a really hard worker and a guy that kind of everyone likes to be around. Uh, he's got he's got some, you know, he's, it's gap power now, but he's got a little bit of loft, like potential for loft in, in that swing down the road uh just really a unique player i mean you don't see guys you don't see shortstops come along that often that have this kind of speed and the the extra stuff you know mm -hmm. like uh this isn't like an alcides escobar type of guy i mean this is this is a bit more exciting of a player and you know right away that speed alone gives you kind of a nice high floor for when he first debuts which which won't be this year i don't think but uh it'll probably be sooner than than a lot of people think and then you, you kind of look at the body i think 12 to 15 homers is possible he's good at getting on base you know he's not you know he's, he's better at getting on base than tim anderson so you know i think he he's kind of a lock to hit at the top of the yankees lineup someday and at the end of the year, I think you're going to see a lot of the guys that are kind of in that top 25 ish range graduate. And, you know, a shortstop that's that ends the year at double A 
is and is stealing like 50 60 bases is is, is a lot more interesting than a shortstop that ends the year at low a and is stealing 50 60 bases so i think people are going to look at mateo at the end of the year and really view him as one of the the big time commodities in dynasty leagues yeah a lot to be interested in here and what you've said about the makeup uh all the more intriguing there with a player like mateo sad to see he's going to be off in in purgatory in, in our staff league but um you never know i mean he's somebody that I really want want to get shares of in a keeper league sooner rather than later. Moving on, Victor Robles uh, will finish the season as a top five prospect in dynasty leagues. Now, going to be waiting a while. He's, he's not even 19 yet, correct? Uh, so going to have to – definitely a long-term asset, but somebody that uh, if we're talking about upside in the minor leagues right now, he's right there among, among yeah, the top. Yeah, and the, the hit tools – I mean, a lot of you could. There's a common thread with, with a lot of the guys that I that I talk about here because they're the kind of prospects that I sort of gravitate towards. Like I'm, I'm a big hit tool guy. Like that's that really gets me to start paying attention to a prospect when I think that there's a decent chance that he could have some some 300 or better seasons. Because that's kind of one of the that's the common thread when you look at you know the draft every year. Like you're looking at who, what, what types of players are going in the first 50, 60 picks. Well, a lot of them are guys that, you know, they, they might hit for power, they might hit for speed, but they're guys that are going to really give you a nice uh, sort of batting average anchor. And, and Robles is the type of guy that, you know, just like Benintendi, wouldn't surprise me if you won a, won a batting title someday. Uh, just He went in the auction too, didn't he? No, uh Okay. Shu took him early in the reserve. Number Shu one. took him number one, I think, okay, in the yeah. reserve. Because uh, he's the guy as, as high as that upside is hard to justify getting him in the odds. No, I wouldn't. You, you know, have to extend in, him before, like two years before he reaches the majors. Maybe. Yeah, and I, I was, I was actually kind of surprised nobody nominated Brendan Rodgers in the auction just because he's kind of the, if, if not Dancy Swanson, then Rodgers is sort of the guy that gets talked about most from last year's draft class. But I think people are smart in seeing that with. With Rodgers and Robles, you're going to be waiting a little too long. You might even have to extend them before they get to the yeah, big leagues. So that's not what you want to be doing. Uh, no, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think his he's a lot he's a lot like Mateo in that you know the that he can hit for a, a solid average and he's going to steal bases. You're not sure where that power is going to kind of end up, and I think that. Just, just given the the athleticism and and the other tools, I mean, he's got he's got a plus plus arm too, for which is pretty rare for a center fielder. I could see some more power coming than people think. You know, I mean, if he's hitting uh, like twenty two, twenty five homers with thirty, forty steals in his third or fourth year in the big leagues, I wouldn't be too surprised. I'm gonna jump down the list a little bit. We were talking about. Bobby Bradley quite a bit, and Dominic Smith I know we have in the past as well. What about Jomar Reyes? You're, you're saying he's going to hit more homers in the Carolina League than Rafael Devers, opening up a debate as to which hulking teenager, teenage third-base prospect is preferable in dynasty leagues. Uh, do you have Devers slightly ahead of Reyes? I have Devers kind of way ahead of Reyes. Okay. I think I have him like Thought 40. I have, him, I have him like 40 spots ahead. I think I have Rhett Devers around like 13 and Reyes oh, okay. maybe just outside the top 50. Uh, this is, I mean, this is a bit bit of a bold prediction, I think. Uh, you know, Devers gets a lot more hype. And one of the reasons, honestly, that he's 
up at 13 for me is because if you were looking to get something for Devers in a dynasty league, it would dwarf the package you could get for Reyes just because people are going to look at, I think like Keith Law ranked Devers in his top 10, which I take quite a bit of issue with uh, for a non-prospect rankings. Like I, I think it's justifiable for a prospect rankings to have him in the top 10, but you know, his defensive value is probably going to be nothing when he gets to the big leagues. So that's putting a ton of pressure on that bat. Uh, I think Reyes, you know, physically they're very comparable and and both guys are candidates to move off a third base just because their bodies are possibly going to get to the point where it's just not feasible and they might be DHs or first baseman. But uh, both guys have, have big time raw power. I think both guys can can hit for a high average, so I think skills wise, I think they're a lot closer than than you're going to see them on most prospect rankings. And Reyes is actually younger than Devers; they're going to be in the same league next year. Uh, I just think it's going to be interesting to kind of watch the two and sort of see who who performs better. Because if Reyes, if they're both down there for most of the season, and Reyes puts up better numbers as the younger player, I think it's going to be a legitimate debate at the end of the year that's very interesting definitely something to keep an eye on maybe if i go hopefully if i'm down see, visiting my brother in the carolinas maybe see maybe see both of them play in the same game that'd be pretty awesome jacob nottingham mentioned that he got got bought in the auction in <coughs> keeper league for two bucks you're predicting that he will get a september call-up following a mid-season jonathan lucroy trade some question as to whether he will stick behind the play but i, I really think even if he has to move off, he's such a good hitter that I don't know if it would really matter. I still think $2, he could uh, still be a pretty valuable yeah, chip at 2 bucks. I think he's going to stick, and I know, obviously, like, Craig Council's not going to say, I don't know if this guy can stick behind the plate, <laughs> but he did go out of the way, out of his way this spring to say that he he definitely views Nottingham as a catcher all the way. Uh, the Brewers, it's it's pretty easy to kind of pull back the curtain and see what they were thinking when they acquired Jacob Nottingham. You know, they they I loved the trade. Yeah, they happened. didn't have a single guy in the organization who was ready to come in and be the heir apparent to to Jonathan Lucroy, who they're obviously going to end up trading at some point this season. Uh, Nottingham is is kind of the perfect guy to come in. He might. You know, it's a it's aggressive to predict it'll be up this season, and he might not even be ready at the start of next season, assuming they get rid of Lucroy. But I, I think that if he's hitting, there there's no reason not to bring a catcher, especially mm-hmm. up. You know that you can start that clock, uh, just like with a pitcher. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't be worried about that even on a non-contender. I think you're right, though. I mean, Nottingham is is a hulking dude. I mean, he he looks like a first baseman really yeah exactly and i think i mean if even if he yeah. has to go there yeah he'll still be a pretty and, valuable and he's gonna guy. he's gonna grow into even more power than he showed last year so mm-hmm. uh yeah i mean I, i'm a big fan yeah and i mean fingers crossed he does stick behind the plate because you know jorge alfaro i mean you have nottingham as the number one catching prospect and i agree with you but uh, behind him and jorge alfaro it's pretty barren among catchers in the minor leagues. I would say you're kind of looking at, you know, Gary Sanchez is probably Sanchez. the next pure, next best pure uh, offensive catching prospect behind Nottingham. Uh, and Nottingham's a guy, too, where you can maybe get him at a bit of a discount because on non-fantasy lists he's going to be behind guys like Wilson Contreras because of the defensive aspect. And, you know, we don't really – 
care as much. Like, I mean, we need him to stick behind the plate, but if he sticks behind the plate, we don't really care if it's average defense or well above average defense. Uh, Similar, like someone in the comments section was like, do you really have Tim Anderson ahead of J.P. Crawford and Orlando Arcia and guys like that? And it's like, yeah, I do, because I don't really care if he's playing average shortstop defense or elite shortstop defense, and I don't care – I mean, it, it matters how much he gets on base, but if he's hitting atop the order, like the runs are still going to be there. It's not as many runs as if he was getting on base at a 370 clip, but uh, you know, just because he's not taking walks, I'm not going to give him a huge downgrade in fantasy for that. Yeah. Um, Brandon Drury, you have as the most valuable Diamondbacks infielder not named Paul Goldschmidt. I think this is interesting, though. Drury's role is still... Up in the air, I know Gene Segura probably going to be leading off for that team. Still uncertain. You know, he's going to get every day at bats, but between short, second, who knows? Third base, I mean, I haven't seen anything to suggest Jake Lamb is falling off, but do you think even if Drury has to start down in the minors that he will still live up to this prediction you have here for him? I do, and I don't know what they're going to do. I really <laughs> think it's interesting. It's kind of one of the more interesting like what what's that final roster going to look like mm-hmm. kind of debates in in baseball right now too, you know. they've just so many air. guys who just depending on your point of view one guy's sort of the clear guy like i'm sure a lot of people probably think brito should just be playing every day and left a lot of people probably think you know jake lamb's the guy with all the promise at the hot Peter corner Bryan, yeah i mean you got tons of guys like people some people aren't out on chris owings yet uh there's there's a lot of options that they kind of have to decide between Brandon Drury's had the best spring of any of those guys Mm -hmm. and his versatility uh just I I I really think that they would be doing themselves a disservice to not at least give him a shot to to hit the ground running this year uh I would try him at second base but they've already kind of said that's going to be where Segura's at I mean it's so tough because, yeah, I mean, if you were to play him at third base and you're kind of – what do you do with Lamb? I, mm-hmm. I don't really know how it's going to shake out, but I think Jury's the best player of all those guys. And I think – Injury could take care of it. One way or another, he's going to be uh, the most valuable Diamondbacks infielder besides Paul Goldschmidt this season. Nice. Just might take a while. So, I mean, yeah. that I'm being patient. I – I'm dropping some prospects I grabbed in our stake league via via Fab, hopefully tonight, but he's not one of them. I'm just going to keep him on my bench and just sort of let this thing play out. There's one more I want to ask you about, and you can add anything else you want to before we sign off, but number 15 here, Malik Smith will be a Fab drain upon a first-half call-up, but due to a slight frame that limits his ability to impact the baseball, he will hit below 250 and end up on waiver wires in standard leagues within a month of his call-up. I've been seeing... People, you know, buzzing a little bit about him on Twitter, saying this is the guy that, that could make an impact that nobody's really talking about. He does have speed, but uh, clearly you're not much of a believer. No, and look, like, I I like to – I try to be kind of glass half full on prospects when I, when I can, and I – you know, the first, what, like – 15, 14 names on this list were all kind of guys that I was pumping up as, you know, they're going to surprise some people with what they do this year. Uh, you know, Malik Smith and Jorge Alfaro were guys that I threw in 
you know, it's not all, you know, prospects will break your heart. You know, that's mm-hmm. every, everyone that's been, a, been the around the, the industry long enough knows that. And, you know, all these prospects we're talking about this time of year, there's going to be some that really don't live up to the expectations we have for them. I think one of the reasons I included Malik Smith is because I got asked about him so much because of all this sort of hype surrounding him. Uh, you look at that those those minor league statistics and you're it's very tempting to say oh he'll he'll be able to hit uh, in the big leagues no problem but you know there's a there's just a big difference you know when you're that small to to make good solid contact enough to to the point where that speed really plays and you know there's there's a chance that he he hits enough to kind of stay in the line up every day in the second half for them but even then I still think he's going to be hitting eighth uh just I think that people need to pump the brakes I think one of the reasons everyone's all over him is because everyone is trying to find steals that they can stash and wait on because Mm -hmm. speed is so as we've talked about like you get to the you get outside that like top 200 or so in your draft and you realize, oh yeah, crap, luck. I don't have enough speed. And then you're like, oh, well, there's no more speed available. Uh, so I can see why people are desperate to try to find a guy that they can stash and hold for that. And I, I mean, once he's up, he will start giving you steals. I just think that he's going to struggle to the point where it's going to be short-lived. Yeah, and probably to the point where, you know, those – like the the value he gives you in stolen bases is negated by the drag in the other categories. Anybody, anything else you want to throw out there? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, d- definitely check the article out. One guy who's just kind of dominating the comments section of the article is Willie Calhoun. Uh, I said that he's gonna hit his way to AAA. He was he was drafted by the Dodgers uh, last season out, outside of the top one hundred. Uh, a guy that Andrew Friedman had previously drafted when he was with Tampa Bay, but couldn't get to sign. Uh, I mean, the guy can just flat out hit. He's, uh, kind of puts on a laser show wherever, wherever he goes. And it's, it's really an interesting profile just based on where he went in the draft and how damn good he was after getting drafted last year. I think he's going to finish the year at AAA. They don't have a spot for him this year, but I, I still think he probably gets a, gets a call up in September and then, possibly profiles as the starting second baseman next season for the Dodgers. Very interesting. Well, that'll do it for the prospect portion of the podcast. We are going to grade out our latest hip-hop artist on the 20 to 80 scouting scale, grading the five tools we've established for evaluating hip-hop artists, lyricism, flow, longevity, impact, swag, and then we'll give an overall grade. Did Master P last week, Too Short the Week Before, Slick Rick, Scarface this week. I think this is an interesting one because – you know, Scarface is kind of a hidden gem, I think, in the hip-hop community. Obviously, people who are really deep into hip-hop know about him and uh, rap a lot records and whatnot. But I think maybe now, more so than ever, he's he's being overlooked, even though he did just drop an album last September. But some some absolute classes. I was, classics. I was listening to Smile mm-hmm. the other night. It came on just like a random mix. And, man, that that's an absolutely epic, uh, all-time great song. Do you agree with me there? I I mean it's it's probably one of my ten favorite Scarface songs, but I mean he's got so many classics yeah. that I think you could talk to a lot of people and get a lot of different answers for what their favorite uh Scarface song is. I mean 
yeah, it's it's really an interesting career, and the fact that he's from the South, uh, like from Houston, not not really a place that was kind of glorified in the '90s. You know, you got East versus West. Mm-hmm. Nobody's really talking about the South, but you know, he was kind of doing. You know, the Ghetto Boys were kind of too. Houston, yep. what what uh, groups like Public Enemy and NWA were, and on the East and West Coast, and uh, yeah, just really kind of a impactful hip hop artist who has classics probably in all, you know, and I think he had classics in the '80s, classics in the '90s, and I thought The Fix was a classic in in the early 2000s. Yeah, really so, like I mean, Made too, 2007 release that that was a really good one. Uh, yeah, a lot of a pretty lengthy discography you look at what a way to start a career certified gold gold platinum 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 gold that's a that's a way to hit the ground running for a career now lyricism i got a 55 here lyrics are good you got a 65 don't get me wrong but i just don't you know the wordplay was there but there's nothing the content of the lyrics never did a whole lot for me and there weren't a ton that were super memorable lines that were kind of defined scarf yeah, so I thought mind that, playing tricks on me though. I'll say might be an exception where there are a lot of memorable lines there. I thought the song "Mr. Scarface" off of Mr. Scarface's back is one of the better kind of like sort of storytelling uh, gangster rap songs out there. Uh, you know, "Born Killer," uh, "Smile." I mean, there's mm-hmm. you know. My block, uh, My block a lot of a lot of the tracks off the fix, I think, are are really good lyrically. Uh, a lot of the tracks off the Untouchable are are pretty good lyrically. I love Money Makes the World Go Round with Daz and Devin the Dude, and uh, Smarts with Devin the Dude is is mm-hmm. a great track too. I mean, I just think his his ability. One one thing I really love about Scarface that you can't really say about a lot of rappers is that he pronounced it like you know exactly what yep. he's saying like the first time he's saying I do appreciate it. that. Uh, which is just sort of a unique kind of style where he's he's just very audibly clear uh, what, without sacrificing really any flow or any kind of uh, smoothness. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just think it's a very unique delivery, which kind of gets us to our next grade. Uh, you got a 65, I got a 70. I mean, the flow... Maybe out, it outshines the lyricism as far as I'm concerned, but I think you're right. The, the very direct, clear nature of the lyrics, uh, I think, with a flow that's you know not flashy but strong and very adaptable. Like yeah. you know, on a on a fast beat, like like Mr. Scarface or Born Killer, you know, he can keep up with the beat. And then on on a slower song like it's going down, uh, or some of those those tracks with like Faith Evans on the fix, or even like Smile, like he can he can keep with the the slower beats too. I mean, I think it's very very adaptable flow. And he's been on on the beat on songs with a lot of big names, of course, Tupac with Smile, uh, Too Short. You know, you mentioned Devin the Dude. He's got a song with Too Short, Teela, and Devin. I can't even say the the name of it. Blank Faces. Uh, but that's um, an all-time great. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jay-Z's got tracks with. Uh, tracks Never outshined. 
That's what my original plan was. Yeah, yeah. He's never and, uh, No, no. And uh, uh, Hand of the Dead Body with Ice Cube. I mean, lots of tracks where, I mean, he just keeps up, you know, uh, verse for verse with, with pretty much anyone. I, I think that that's, you know, we, we're going to end up, I, I ended up giving him the same grade as I gave Master P last week, and I did like a double take because it's like, wow, I'm like, Mm-hmm. That's a that's a different that's a very different way of getting to the same grade because like <laughs> man you put Master P on like a track with some of those guys and it would just be night and day as yes. to the the, <laughs> the quality of the rapping whereas like Scarface could could hang with pretty much anyone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Birdman might be the only person who wouldn't outshine <laughs> a, Master P. A Birdman P. Master P <laughs> oh, duo man. duet would be great. <laughs> Longevity, I got a 60 here. I mean, I, I mentioned how long how deep this discography is and 91 to 2015 is a long run, but no no even gold albums after 2001's Last of a Dying Breed and uh last three albums in particular over the past decade or so have really kind of fallen on deaf ears unfortunately. As far as um, mainstream mm-hmm. success goes. I I think I'm gonna bump mine up to sixty actually too. I I forgot about some of the okay, so to me I don't really like uh the albums after the fix in two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Uh so I, I kind of go nineteen ninety one or even you know back in back when he was with uh, Ghetto Boys, so we'll go we'll say like eighty eight to two thousand two as kind of my window for him, which is still a, you know that's a plus window, so I, mm-hmm. I I don't mind bumping that up to a sixty. In Impact seventy, uh, again you mentioned how during the the nineties it was all East West that everybody was talking about, but he really did put Screwston on the map. Yeah, he. You know, we if if we're gonna give Master P big marks for impact and and what he kind of did for the South, you know, Scarface to me kind of did that sort of in a more, uh, you know, less flashy way where where he kind of brought a little bit more quality to to his sort of Southern rap and yeah. you know, there's a lot of you know, a lot of guys now that are doing stuff are, are definitely from the South and, you know, Scarface even impacted guys from like the East coast and the West coast because he was coming up with, you know, guys like Nas and Jay-Z and it was respect- Ice Cube and Biggie. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, it, he was kind of a, you know, he was on their level. So I think he, he impacted a lot of their stuff as well. So I, I threw a 75 on the impact. And I mentioned Rap-A-Lot Records. The, that Rap-A-Lot tree it's pretty impressive. I mean, I'm a big Devin the Dude guy. Zero, uh, UGK. I mean, Pimp C was on on that label for a while too. So, uh, and, and Scarface was really the standard bearer there. Swag. Now this is where the, the grades fall off a little <laughs> bit. I mean, I got a 40. You got a 45. Not the swaggiest look. Mm-mm. Swaggy on the mic for sure. And, and blank faces. Definitely check out that video to see uh, what I think is kind of. Scarface, his plus swag appearance there, but uh, overall, just a just kind of a middling grade here for me. And I got a fifty-five overall. You got a sixty-five, so I didn't put him quite on masterpiece level. But you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and make that change right now. Give him a sixty because Scarface, honestly, he is a legend. Yeah, I I threw yeah forty-five on the swag, uh, just because I 
it was kind of a uh, look. Like I like you too much, Scarface, and and semi afraid of you to the point where I'm not going <laughs> to drop your swag grade below a 45. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to bump mine. <laughs> just, I don't want him. Just in case you're listening, Scarface. I don't want him to hate, hate me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, I I think that 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 would be the week if you were gonna, you know, it's kind of like Mike Trout's arm. Uh, that's that's the only thing keeping him from being a, a five tool guy for me. Uh, but still, still throw sixty five there on the on the total package. Yeah, an underappreciated legend for sure. Somebody that you know, after we talked about Farrell Monch, I had to dive back in, and I think Scarface is going to be another guy that you know I've listened to his stuff for a while, and my brother burnt me. His latest album, so maybe I'll have to give that some spin. If you guys got any artists you want us to grade in the future, hit us up at RealJR Anderson at Clay W. Link on Twitter. We'll be back next week. with the helpful hardware folks at ace your backyard's right in our backyard which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood like premium bird seed suet birdhouses and feeders stop by your local ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want including ace wild bird food on sale now now through tuesday only when you buy two 20 pound bags of wild bird food get a third bag free only at ace the helpful place offer valid through february 28th at participating stores Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.